love the gospel. What a story of redemption. What a privilege it is to be an ambassador of, of the gospel, not only here uh, in this great nation in which we live, but also uh, to go to the nations of the world and share Christ. And, uh, you know, Gil and Mari, I was watching y'all as we were worshiping the Lord a moment ago. So I'm going to ask you and Lindsay if y'all would come up here for just a minute. I want to I wanna talk about y'all for just a minute, all right? They had no idea I was going to do this. I had no idea I was going to do this. So why don't y'all come up here and stand for just a moment. This is the Johnson family. I don't know if many of you guys know them. They also have two other children. Is that right? That's right. And I meet with Gil every Thursday morning at 7 o'clock with a group of men, and we do accountability together and discipleship. Uh, he gets to ask me, how am I treating my wife during the week? And uh, who have I witnessed to this week? And uh, how's our walk with God? How's, how are we treating our wives and so forth? And Gil has surrendered to the call of ministry. And he is about to leave us to go to Southwestern Seminary, take his family, and go to seminary and train to be a minister of the gospel. And Gil uh, works, uh, what do you, in Walmart, you're a manager, and you've worked for? Uh, automotive department. Okay, he's worked in Walmart for many, many years. In fact, God's already opened up a door there. He's gonna be able to continue to work and study. And he told me that uh, before he leaves, uh, b before he, uh, when he gets there, he is going to get him a group of men and pour his life into what I've been able to do with him over the last uh, almost uh, six, seven months. And so I'm just proud of you guys. We love y'all. We are going to miss y'all. I, I mean, we're just going to miss you very much. But hey, man, we're blessed to, to know this family. And uh, we pray that God would use you, uh, Gil, in a powerful way. And uh, Mari, you're such a godly woman. He tells us all the time how you witness to people and talk to people about Jesus. And so, uh, Lindsay, you doing okay? That's my friend over there. Lindsay is my friend. So y'all go ahead and you can have a seat. But I love y'all. I appreciate it. We're going to miss you. All right? We're going to miss you dearly. So, man. Daniel's in that group. That's a good group of men, isn't it? Man, I love those guys. It's, uh, it's good to be in accountability. In fact, Chuck Swindoll said a man not in an accountability group is an accident waiting to happen. And that doesn't matter if that man's a pastor or not. We need accountability. We need to be telling other men how we are living our life. Today, I want to be sharing a message with, uh, with you and for you out of Revelation chapter 8. I'm excited about sharing this message. And before I do, though, I want to take just a moment and give you kind of a summary of where we are as a church, and then we're going to launch right into these tribulation uh, judgments, these trumpet judgments. There are seven of them. And we're going to look at four of the seven today, and, and right after we preach, again, if you'll excuse me and allow me, uh, I, will, I will slip out and we will catch a flight uh, that is leaving with us or without us. So I want to make sure it leaves with us, so it's going to make sure that I expedite and get out of here. Uh, just to share with you a little bit of where we are as a, as a church, a couple of weeks ago we, we voted or we had a, a town hall meeting. And we decided as a church family, about 99%, that we are going to ground lease part of our uh, land, and we are going to probably not be able to see the benefits of that for another two or three years, but uh, we approved it as a church, and, and it's coming, and we will, as a church, receive some residual income from these businesses that we ground lease a portion of our property. It's this corner out here the, near the digital sign. Also, I've been meeting with a group of men now for about a year. Uh, November 21st, 2013, Andy and Ernie and our team, we began meeting over here at the Brick Oven. And uh, Baptists, we like to eat. We were eating and we were talking. And we've been meeting 
and eating and talking for about a year now. And uh, we, we want to see our church engage in some um, capital improvements in our, on our campus. We're going to continue to pay off our, our debt every month, but we also want to raise money and do some things with our flooring, with our bathrooms. We want to do a coffee shop, a commons area. There's some exciting things we want to do, but guess what all of those things cost? What, what they entail is a cost and money. And we're not going to borrow any money to do it, so we're going to hopefully start off November 23rd. Not hopefully, we are going to. Uh, November 23rd, we're going to have our annual Harvest Day offering, and those monies are going to be used to catch us up from our budget deficit, and then we're going to give those monies toward those projects where we're going to beautify and build up our church, fix some things that are broken. And so, um, I just want to share this with you. I know we've been talking about it some as a church. I write about these things a lot in my blog or my newsletter, but I'm sure a lot of you people, uh, a lot of the folks don't, don't get it. Uh, as far as uh, it, come, it may not come to your email address and so forth. So, just to give you a little update where we are, I was writing all of these things out. By the way, everything I plan to say, it's scripted here. I don't know, that's just the way I've been doing it for, for years. And so, everything is, is scripted and, and a lot of it I memorized. But part of um, when I was writing these very words, I got a phone call from one of our deacons. And this is the kind of phone call you love to receive as a pastor. He said, let me tell you about the guy I'm discipling. And I said, man, Matt, that's awesome. Tell me about it. And so he shared with me about how he is pouring his life into uh, another man. And by the way, when you think of Great Hills, I want you to think of a radiant church that is, I mean, exploding in discipleship, where we take the gospel and we nurture one another and we encourage one another, build one another up so that we can go and make more disciples. And so, if you're not discipling somebody and you're a member at Great Hills, let me encourage you to do that, all right? And I'm practicing what I'm preaching because we get to meet with these six men, and I think they disciple me more than I disciple them. But that's what I want us to be. I want us to be a radiant church of worship, discipleship, and evangelism and missions. So, anyhow, he said, let me tell you about this guy I'm discipling. And, and he told me, and I rejoiced with him, and I said, well, let me, let me tell you a little bit of what I'm going to share Sunday morning at the beginning of my sermon about kind of where we're going as a church. And he said these words. He said, Brother Danny, this church is on the move. And I thought, that is a good word. And this church is on the move. And I'm so honored to be able to stand before you today and say, God is working. God is saving people's lives. You probably didn't even know about the Johnson family. And there are multiple families and people and events and things that are happening. And I just do not do a good job of bragging on you enough. I really don't. I get up here and I get so excited and I get to preach. And a lot of times I just don't stop and say, thank you, Lord. Look what you're doing. You're calling people into the ministry. We have people even now overseas serving God in full-time Christian ministry. So uh, we, are very, we are very blessed as a church. Now, now we've got to segue into Revelation. Now, before I read the text, let, let me give you a heads up, all right? This is not an easy sermon. I mean, this is one of the most intense passages of Scripture that you will ever read in your life. You will hear about God executing judgment on the earth dwellers, those who have rejected Him, those who have turned against Him. God begins to, I mean, He begins to cascade from heaven these judgments, and they are called these trumpet judgments. Remember, there are seven sealed judgments, seven trumpet judgments, and seven bowl judgments. And by the way, here at Great Hills, Right here in October, moving into November, we are right in the heart of Revelation with these judgments of God. And so you say, well, Brother Danny, why, 
would you preach on such a thing? I can't tell you the last time I heard anybody preach a message out of the book of Revelation. In fact, why would you even want to tell us those things are going to happen? Well, it goes something like this. When I surrendered to the call of God on my life to be a preacher of the gospel, God called me to preach the whole Bible, not just certain sections of the Bible. And so what I'm going to share with you today, it's going to be intense. I'm glad you're sitting down. It's going to be, I mean, it's going to be riveting, but I want you to hear it. And just because the news is bad does not mean you don't need to hear it. Let me say that again. Just because the news is bad does not mean you do not need to hear it. In fact, if I go to the doctor, and Dr. Murray, I've got to come see you soon with my annual checkup. Woo, I look forward to that. But no, I'd say it's just what do you got to do? You just got to do it. Especially when you're 50, amen. So we go to uh, Dr. Murray, and let's just say Dr. Murray does my blood work, and it's bad. I mean, I've got all kinds of bad indications. I've got pro- probably some cancer cells growing in my body. Let's say I've got just a bad diagnosis from Dr. Murray. I do the blood work, and I go back to him, and I walk into his office. He says, hello, Brother Danny. I say, hello, Dr. Murray. I said, how am I doing? He says, you're not doing real bad at all. In fact, you're fine. Your health is fine. No, no, no. I don't need Dr. Murray to tell me my health is fine. I need him to tell me what? The truth. I go to my dentist, and I go in there, and he does those x-rays. Don't you love them? They say, open your mouth, and they, like, they stick this iron jaw in your mouth, and you're like, oh, this is killing me. But they're taking pictures of all my teeth. And so, and, and then I go back to Dr. Diabede, and I say, well, how am I doing? And I've got a mouthful of cavities, and I've got roots that need to be drilled into. And he says, you are doing fine. No problems, just keep eating ice cream and live like life is merry. Now, he's not being a good dentist, is he? Let's say I go to my financial advisor, which I don't have. I probably should get one. And I go to the financial advisor, and, and my portfolio is just taking a beating. And he tells me, man, you are fine. There's nothing wrong with your uh, portfolio of investments. Then he's being disingenuous. He's not being honest with me. He's not telling me the truth. Listen, because something is bad, that's okay, you still need to hear it. And this is bad. This is tough news that I'm going to share with you today. So let's read it. Some of you are like, well, it can't be that bad. Oh, yes, it can. Let, let, me, let me read it to you. Revelation chapter 8. And we'll begin reading in verse uh, 7. And uh, what we'll do is, is kind of what I did last week. I, I'm just going to read one passage, and then I'm just going to stop right there and tell you some thoughts about that one passage, and then we'll go from there. So we're in Revelation 8. And we're going to look at verse 7. This will be the first trumpet judgment. This sound, this enormous sounds of heaven after this prelude of silence for 30 minutes, there are these supplication prayers offered by the angel. And then all this deafening noise just breaks out in the heavens. And the first one is depicted this way. The first angel sounded, and hell and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. Now watch this. A third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. This is the first trumpet judgment. This is the great tribulation where God pours out wrath on planet earth. And he has these seven angels, and the first angel, this trumpet angel, he has this, this word of, of God's judgment of hell and fire and blood. And these somehow are commingled together, and they create such a catastrophe on earth that it says one-third. Did you see that? One-third of all the trees and all the green grass is, is, is burned up. Now, how is this going to happen? 
we just do not know. I've had uh, good godly Christian physicists and scientists and chemists and so forth. They have given a shot at it. In fact, I'll read one version of what this one very educated PhD, University of Minnesota uh, person said. Here's what I think is going to happen. There will be this worldwide volcanic explosion because of the worldwide violent earthquakes. And that is according to verse 5, by the way. You have these massive earthquakes. And he says because of the seismic shifts in the, in the earth's mantle, then it just burst up with these volcanoes. And then he says the masses of water vapor blown skyward might well condense in the intense updrafts as hailstones. And showers of burning lava from the volcanoes might well be cast upon the earth. The blood of entrapped men and animals might be mingled with them. Or possibly showers of liquid water drops might be so contaminated with dust and gases as to appear blood red. This is all highly speculative, he said, I admit. But then he says this, there are little observational data with which to compare such a catastrophe. And it is likely the avenging angels will so reorder the natural processes as to produce an event entirely new in natural history, the better thereby to impress men that God Himself is speaking to them." End of quote. This passage of Scripture is foretold in the Old Testament. See, I believe Revelation for the most part has not happened yet. I believe part of it has happened. But most of it, I believe, is yet to happen in the future. And so these hailstones and fire and and these judgments of God and mingled with blood, look at this verse in Joel chapter 2, prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years before even the time of Christ, where it says, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. When I see the word fire, I I think of a a number of things. A couple years ago, well, maybe a little more than a couple years ago, there were, you remember the Bastrop fires here in Central Texas? You remember if you're out in the Steiner Ranch area, some of you had to evacuate. You had to relocate. In fact, hundreds of people got out of Steiner Ranch and they went to Vandergrift High School. And myself and a bunch of pastors, we just went down there and just started ministering to people, talking to people about the Lord. and. I tell you, that was a good opportunity to talk about the Lord. There were fires coming, literally coming at the doorstep of some of their homes. As far as I know, no one in Central Texas lost their lives because they listened and they took warning. A few years ago, I can't say the same thing in Southern California. True story. They were having fires, and they were breaking out, and they were moving their way toward these homes. And the firemen and the police, they literally went to the homeowners, they said, listen to me. There is a fire coming. Look at the billows of smoke on the horizon. You must evacuate. You must leave now. And they said, we're not leaving. We don't think that smoke is for us. We don't think that fire is even going to come close to us. And many of those people lost their lives. They died because they would not heed the warning, even though on the horizon they could see the engulfing flames and the smoke. That's the way I think it's going to be in the Great Tribulation. I believe many people will have heard, and they will hear that God is an awesome God, and God will judge sin. He he will not, the Bible says He does not acquit the guilty. I mean, He will not overpass it. He will judge, and I think people will only have them proud selves to blame because they omitted the warnings. 
Aren't you glad today that you are in Christ? Aren't you glad today that the judgment of God has been appeased? In fact, it's been eradicated for you because Jesus Christ took all the wrath of God. It's called the propitiation. He appeased the holy wrath of God for all the sins of the world. And all mere mortals have to do is bow their knees and say, Jesus Christ, you're King, you're Lord of my life. And when we do that, the wrath of God is escaped. But people don't do that. They say, no, I don't need that. I'll just take my chances in the great tribulation. You're a nitwit, I'm telling you. You don't take your chances in the great tribulation. There's probably a very good chance that you're going to be incinerated. You're going to die. And so why take a gamble? Why not in this age of grace time where you can say, God, I need you. I trust in you. I give you my life. You're the... Here's where I think it really boils down, especially with Austinites. They don't want to say, Jesus, you're the boss, and I'm not the boss. And I think that, that spirit is prevalent in our city because we are a wealthy, educated, erudite city, and, and I love this city. But come alongside of erudition and wealth and, and power and prestige, the more I see people in, entrapped and engulfed in that, the less they think they need God. We all need God. The up and out as well as the, dining out, the down and out. So this is the first judgment, okay? This is the first trumpet judgment, and it's going to be intense. So let me, let me give you a, a second trumpet judgment. This is verses 8 and 9. And by the way, I don't have a really fancy outline for you. If you have your, um, your little inserts, just put second trumpet. That's, that goes in the second. I told you it wasn't very fancy, but th there it is. There, there's your outline. I get an F for creativity and outline. But anyhow, verses 8 and 9. Then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the living creatures in the sea, they died, and a third of the ships were uh, destroyed. This is fascinating to me because these burning asteroids or meteorites, call them what you will, somehow out of the heavenlies, they are going to come down and they are going to pummel planet Earth and a third of the sea will become blood. Does this remind you of anything? Has God ever done anything like this prior to this time? You bet He has. Do you remember the plague judgments in the book of Exodus? You remember where God turned the Nile River into into blood. So this is not unprecedented. God has done this before, but take the Nile River and exponentially just explode that to a third of the oceans of the world will be turned into blood. Again, this uh, physicist, this chemist, this scientist makes the following statement, and I found this very fascinating. He said, the ability to turn water into blood, yes either by filling it with actual blood of dead animals or transforming it chemically or biochemically into blood-red water poisoned by multitudes of dead microorganisms. We also call this red tides. This event made such an impact upon ancient Israel that we tell it over and over in the book of Exodus and two Psalms are dedicated to this very historic event, Psalm 78, Psalm 105. 
And he goes on to say, the impression made upon the world's inhabitants in this great future day when suddenly a third of the world's oceans become as blood can well be imagined. Twenty-five percent of the earth's surface will be red. You say, how do you get those figures? Seventy-five percent of the earth's surface is already oceanic waters. And so when you do the math on this, 25% of the globe of planet Earth will be turned red like unto uh, blood. And it says these vessels, these sea vessels will, a third of them will be destroyed in verse 9. In the 1980s, I came across a statistic that said there are 24,867 merchant vessels on the oceans on planet Earth. Let's just say that today in 2014, there's not 24,000. I know there's more than this, but help me with my math because I'm weak in math. So let's say there are 30,000 oceanic merchant vessels on the Indian Ocean, the Pacific Ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, the Aegean. I mean, all of these oceans. Can you imagine 10,000, one third of all the oceans being destroyed? Can you imagine? The catastrophe of that. You say, Brother Danny, you were not kidding a few minutes ago when you said this is a hard sermon. It looks like God's really mad. Yes, God pours out wrath upon planet Earth. What's so amazing about this is He has warned us over and over and over. And I don't know what me preaching Revelation does to you, but let me tell you what me preaching Revelation does to me. It it changes me. I I I walk around and, and I see people differently. Every person I look at, I either look at them like they know Christ or they don't know Christ. If Jesus were to come right now and I would leave and they don't know Christ, look what they are going to face. Now, if you believe all that, many people don't believe it and that's why they don't witness to people because they honestly don't believe it. This past week, (laughs) Ashley and I bought a mattress. Can we take up an offering? Amen. I mean, we, we bought a mattress. Hey, listen, we did some shopping to get a mattress. Those things are not cheap, by the way. We've had our mattress for for a little while, so we get this new mattress, this hard mattress, hard as a brick. Ashley, thank you. I love you. But I'm just having the dickens of a time with my lower back. So we bought this mattress, and and the, the first place we went to, the sales lady said, listen, have you ever thought of this? She said, you're going to spend a third of your life in your bed. You might as well make it a good bed. I thought, that's a good sales pitch. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about that. That's good. Then we went to another place. This is where we finally ended up buying the, the thing. And the mattress salesman guy said, sir, you need to lay down for 10 minutes. I said, you got to be kidding. He said, I'm not kidding. Lay down. I was like, this is the strangest thing. I'm laying down in a department store, and I'm about to put my shoes on. He said, just lay there for 10 minutes, and I'll come back. You tell me what you think. And I was laying there. You know, just looking around, so this is the strangest thing. And I saw that mattress salesman. I thought, you know what? I wonder if he's saved. I wonder if he knows Jesus. And so I began to talk to him. And I felt a little bit of kickback there in talking to him. Lisa Hall, you know about that? Kick, kickback, yeah. There's a story there, by, by the way. It's, um, it's interesting. It's a cool story. Um, so anyhow, he, he, was, he just kind of, I think I just kind of surprised him, you know. How's your mattress? Well, it's not too good. You want to buy another one? Yes. Are you saved? I mean, you know, it, just kind of, it just kind of goes that way sometimes. I say, you know, and, and so we, we, we think about it. We process it as we make this uh, financial investment for the future, all right? And so we come back, and I uh, had my guys uh, Thursday morning. They were praying for me, praying for John. 
And I sat across his desk. And I just looked at him. My heart was so full of compassion for him. And I said, John, I've got great news for you. Number one, you're a great salesman. You sold me this mattress. You did good. I said, do you get commission for this? He said, yes, I do. I said, well, good. You should. I said, I got some more good news for you. He wasn't ready for this. I said, God loves you so much. He wants to have a relationship with you. He gave his only son to die on a cross so that you could be saved. Now, Ashley had gone to the bathroom. She, she can't give testimony to this, but that's precisely what I said. You know, his demeanor completely changed. He began to smile. I said, John, you know the Lord. He says, I know the Lord. I had no idea. Raised in a Christian home in West Texas. Listen, when you go witness to somebody, some things are going to happen. Number one, you're going to get to share the gospel and maybe even lead them to the Lord. Number two, you're going to get to fellowship with the saint. Or number three, you might suffer. You might get chewed out, Lisa. You might get the door slammed in your face. Or your friend may say, I don't want to talk about that kind of stuff. But you know what? We don't really have an option. We have to talk about this kind of stuff if we care. If you don't care, don't talk about it. But I care. I really do believe this book, and that's why I'm preaching it to you, and that's why, by God's grace, I'm trying to live it before you. So let's go to the third trumpet judgment, verses 10 and 11, and we're almost done. Then the third angel sounded, and a great star, oh my, a star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water, not the sea now. This is now on the rivers and the streams of water, our fresh water, our drinking supply. The name of the star, John says, is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. Again, it reminds me of how the Nile River was so contaminated that the people could not drink it. They could not be refreshed. The Greek word for torch, do you see that word? A star fell from heaven burning like a lampos. That's where we get the English word a lamp, okay, a light-producing luminary, a lamp. In, in ancient use, this word is used to describe asteroids or meteorites. This falling star is so prodigious. Somehow and some way, I don't know if it breaks off into many pieces, but it's given a name. And by the way, the word, this is the only time in the Greek New Testament this word wormwood is used. Now, it's used in the Old Testament. I'll, I'll give you an example. He has filled me with bitterness. And by the way, that's what wormwood literally means. It means to be bitter. He has made me to drink wormwood. And so somehow this falling asteroid, uh, this this lampass, this torch, this meteor, somehow it poisons the water. Now, now, let me tell you what some people believe, and they may be right. They believe this is an atomic nuclear blast. Good educated people that I've read said the only way that could be so bitter is John, he, they didn't have nuclear bombs back then, but somehow the Spirit of God is revealing to John that what's going to happen is going to be so catastrophic that it will be, it's going to be an atomic, some kind of nuclear. And by the way, that's not hard to believe, is it? Because we've got people with weapons, and I'm telling you, they are itching to use them on people that they disagree with. A nuclear device that devastates the earth, the third trumpet could be, I don't know. 
Let's look at the fourth trumpet, and this is our last one. And then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. Now John says, I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, woe, 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 to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. In other words, these, this is only four of the seven trumpets that are going to sound. So somehow in this fourth trumpet judgment, the light-producing luminaries, the sun, the moon, the, the stars, and I, I get the moon reflecting the light and so forth, don't, don't call me completely uneducated. But this is John's way of describing somehow the, the light producing the luminaries in the heavenlies, there will be something that will happen to them and they will not be able to produce their light. Again, Dr. Morris says this, since solar physicists even yet do not really comprehend either the full nature of gravitational processes or of solar radiation processes, and since it is at least plausible that God's mighty angels do understand these processes, or at least God understands and He can instruct them. We are safe in assuming that God's hosts are quite capable of accomplishing this tremendous hiatus in the normal operation of all the heavenly bodies." End of quote. My translation of that is, I don't rightly know how this is going to happen, but God's Word says it's going to happen, and I believe it's going to happen. That's, by the way, that's me. Many people say, no, Brother Dan, that's hyperbole, that's exaggeration, that's just metaphor, that's just simile. Those things are really not going to be that devastating, but what if they are? What if they are? What if this is a clear word from God that God in heaven is an awesome God and He will judge planet earth? What if it goes down precisely like God says it will? How can we not be full of compassion? How can we not preach this book? How can we not go to people and say, believe, love Jesus Christ, He's your only hope? How can we not if this is true? And by the way, Jesus Himself said, this is precisely what's going to happen before I come again. Let me read it to you. First, let me read it to you in the Old Testament, in Isaiah, and then in Matthew in the New Testament. Now, in the Old Testament, this is Isaiah, and he's prophesying. He says, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with both wrath and fierce anger. Hold on right there. Time out. Some of y'all are asking a question. I'm going to answer it. Why is God so mad? <laughs> Wouldn't you be? Wouldn't you be? If you were God, if you had a modicum of justice about you, oh my word, I, four police officers in Queens butchered with an axe? I mean, really? Two of them. One was hit in the head. But a kid in Washington goes in and he, and he starts shooting other kids in the head. He's blowing their brains out. And we got people across the planet, I hope I don't meet some of them here in a few days, but there are people across the planet that are seething with anger. And I'm telling you guys, this is a cruel world, and the enemy of our souls is alive and well, but I'm telling you the truth, Almighty God does reign, and He's coming down, and God will 
win the day. He will come down. He says it's, it's a day of wrath and anger to lay the land desolate. He will destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven, are you with me? And their constellations will not give their light. Sounds like Revelation, doesn't it? The sun will be darkened and it's going forth and the moon will not cause its light to shine. And then in Matthew, Jesus said this, and there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars. And on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. Now watch this. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, then ah, come again. That's what he said. Then they will see me, the Son of Man, coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads, because your redemption draweth near. Son. It's fascinating what's in the Bible. It's, it's God's love letter, and, and God is a, is a God of wrath, I get that, and a God of judgment, I get that, but He's also a God of great grace and mercy and compassion. Perhaps it would be unjust if He did all those things and didn't tell us, but He's just. He's going to do all these things, and He's telling us. I've been reading my quiet time, the book of John. John chapter 6, 7, and 8, Jesus starts preaching these, these messages. Messages like, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And they're like, what, what, what is that? And they knew what he meant. He was not endorsing cannibalism. He was saying, I've got to be your all. I have to consume your life. And the Bible says many people said, nope, I, I don't want that. I, and, and the Bible says many people walked away. And Jesus looked at the disciples and he said, will you walk away? Thank you, Lord, for Peter. Peter says, no. You hold the words of eternal life. Where else can we go? In John chapter 8, Jesus looks at the Pharisees and says, your daddy's the devil. You are liars and murderers just like your dad. You are not going to heaven. And I'm like, that is not what you preach to grow a church. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? By the way, if he came today, I don't think many people would want to hear him preach. Because Jesus told the truth. And it would be, it would be today just like it was in John chapter 6 when many people went away. I read an article this week that said, preacher, just prepare yourself. If you preach like Jesus, prepare for your church to diminish. That's just the antithesis of the American degree of success, isn't it, Doug? Because we equate it with enormous crowds. And God equates it with enormous obedience. God, help me with that because I struggle with that. But I want to be faithful. Just because the news is bad doesn't mean we should not hear it. So Abraham Lincoln is in an intense senatorial race. I've been reading another biography on Lincoln. 
Now that's one fascinating man. In 1858, he and Stephen Douglas are in a battle for the Illinois Senate. It's 1858, and they call him the little giant. Stephen Douglas is about, I can't do this often, but he's about five foot three, all right? And they called him the little giant because he was a fierce little man. And he and Abraham Lincoln, 6'4", traveled all over the state of Illinois in 1858, and they debated and debated. And Abraham Lincoln had an unpopular message, and it was freedom for all. He said the Declaration of Independence says, All men are created equal. Even the people from Africa are created by God and they are equal before God. And Douglas said, no, they they are not. They are not equal to the white man. And so they they were going at it. And guess who lost the race? Lincoln lost the race, I believe, because of his message. But guess what? God vindicated He proved to be on the right side of history because within two short years, this (laughs) gangly, awkward-looking senator senator hopeful to be who failed went from that to sitting in the White House. And his message proved to be true, and it resonated with the heart of the American people that, yes, all men are created equal. I'm so glad that Abraham Lincoln had the moxie and the fortitude, even though some believe it cost him his life, I believe it did, to stand for truth and tell people what they don't want to hear. Well, I thank you, church family. I appreciate you. I love you. I appreciate you letting me preach the Word of God. Allow me to to do what I believe God has commissioned me to do, and that is to share uh, this message. If you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, I just want to implore you to hurry up and get saved. You, You know what I'm saying? Give your life to the Lord. Listen, if you do this, you skip all of this, but even if you go through some of this, you still come out victorious. Let me explain. When you die, you spend eternity in heaven with God. I tell you, I have such a peace. Part of knowing Jesus Christ, it gives me this peace to go into a hostile place and, you know, my wife doesn't like me talking like this and... uh, Kyle, I know your wife doesn't like you talking like this, but there's a chance I don't come back. And I'm okay with that because I know, I know where I'm going. I know when I die, I will be in the presence of Almighty God, not because I'm a preacher, not because I went on a mission trip, but when I was a 19-year-old little rebellious teenager, I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ and He saved my soul. That's why I'm going to heaven. Let me ask you, are you going to heaven? If you're not, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Repent, therefore, and be converted so that your sins may be blotted out and you'll receive times of refreshing from the Lord. So let's pray together and then we will have the invitation and we will go. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for the truth of the Scriptures. Thank you, Lord, for even these hard sayings of asteroids and sea turning to blood and rivers being contaminated with who knows what. It just, it's scary. But God, if you're trying to communicate to us and telling us truth, oh, help us receive it. Help us to believe, God, that you do love us. You are for us. You want us to escape the coming night. Lord, I pray right now, whether a person is listening on the internet, I know hundreds of people are listening on the internet, even now as we share this message. And there are people who will listen to this sermon on 
television, we pray for them, God. We ask you to reveal yourself to them. You tell us, no man can come to the Son unless the Father draws him. Lord, would you draw them? Would you draw them now to a point of salvation where they have to say yes, where they're just at a point saying, I've got to give my life to Christ. And Great Hills, if that's you today, if you're ready to give your life to the Lord and serve Him and walk with Him to your dying day, we invite you. At this very moment, we invite you. We'll have counselors. We'll have deacons. We'll have staff. We have plenty of people up here that would love to introduce you to the Savior so that your life would be blessed and abundant here, and your life would be eternally blessed and blissful in the hereafter. Father, again, we love you. We thank you for the message of the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for this great church. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in this church. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel going out from 10,500 Jollyville to the very ends of the earth. Lord, we pray for our church. We pray that you would bless us, that you would anoint us, and more than anything, God, we would be faithful to the gospel. For we pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen.